This is Secrets to Win Big, your roadmap to sustained growth. Brought to you by Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango, top brand growth driver and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. Find him at zenmango.com. And now, here's your host, Arjun Sen. Hi, welcome to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen. I have the best seat in the house to talk to leaders from all walks of life and all over the world. And today, it's absolutely my pleasure to welcome my VIP guest, Nigel Travis. Nigel Travis has worked, served over 13 years as the CEO and now focuses on boards, executive coaching and sports. Nigel served as the non-executive chairman of the holding company for Dunkin's and Baskin Robbins and previously served as CEO of Dunkin Brands and as the executive chairman of the board. Previously, Nigel served as president and CEO of Papa John's International and a variety of senior positions with Blockbuster and Burger King. And on a personal note, I've heard such a lot about Nigel, and I really left Papa John's just before Nigel joined, and it would have been absolutely an honor to work for him and learn from him. At present, Nigel serves on the board of directors of Advanced Auto Parts and Abercrombie & Fitch. He is the author of The Challenge Culture, Why Most Successful Organizations Run on Pushback. Nigel, welcome to Secrets to Win Big. Uh, delighted to be here, Adrian. Uh, when I was at Papa John's, I heard your name many times, but for the audience, this is the first time we've ever met directly, right? Absolutely. Truly an honor. So, Nigel, first and foremost, I want to congratulate you on an amazing career. And I want to go about the story behind the story. And as I got the chance to talk to you, one of the C-Suite's leaders who you know very well, right away used one phrase to describe you. Working for Nigel was my favorite time in my career. How do you inspire people to perform at the highest level, but also feel so good to be there? Well, one of my, <laughs> one of the things I like to preach is that work should be enjoyable. Work should be fun. Um, I've been fortunate in my life of working for some great organizations and all organizations, just for the record, have challenges. Uh, I've just come off a, a call on one of the boards I'm on where we had a unique challenge to, that came up suddenly this week. But I think you should look at the hurdles and the obstacles in front of you and see it as a challenge. And it's fun to tackle those challenges together. And I think the key word is together. And I've always tried to embrace the whole concept of team. And I think it probably goes back a little bit to my sports uh, background in that I've coached soccer, as we say in the US for over 50 years. Um, I, I'm now chairman and majority owner of a English League Two club in the EFL, which is the English Football League. Um, and one of the philosophies we have there is that everyone's in it together and all the players attend our employee meetings. They're told all the financials. So I think it's openness, but it's, the, it's probably right at the heart of the challenge culture, which is the book I wrote. I encourage people to challenge me, push me, make jokes of me about me, because I don't see myself as being necessarily the chairman or the CEO, and that gives me any privileges. I'm just a team member, 
and everyone else should react towards me like they react towards everyone else. So when you look at a challenge, many times when we face a challenge, the survival instinct comes out. And survival instinct often is, how can I cross the bridge alone, me first? How do you get somebody who is evolving as a leader to see the bigger picture of team first instead of survive first? Yeah, I, th I think sometimes people get hung up on their own future. Um, one of the things that I'm, I think, frustrated by is how many people are always looking forward and planning their next job rather than being as successful in their current job as they can. And, and what I think that does, it, it creates a situation where they're constantly thinking about what have I achieved, not what have we achieved. Mm -hmm. And I think there's another version of that, that when you get to the end of your career, and just for the record, I'm 71 and still love everything I do. Um, I think you have to, I think people got get caught in what I call the legacy trap. They're worried about their legacy and they're worried about what people are going to say about them. If you're in a in any company, be it a public company where it's probably clearer or a private company, you have to think, what am I doing for the shareholders, which is really the responsibility you have? How can I make the best decisions and not think about your personal legacy? So I'm very team oriented. I've, I would never do anything if the team we're dead against it. Now, it doesn't mean we can't have a big argument. I mean, arguments are part of life and and, and agree we're going to go one way or the other or some compromise. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, I think sometimes people think compromise is a weak term. If you and I disagreed, it's seen that, you know, neither of us have won. I actually say both of us have won if it moves the business forward. Because the points that you may have that differ from me are probably very valid. And we have to think through, if you like, in a 360 degree way so that we get the best solution. And that's why I encourage people to differ from my opinion. And then you work a way forward. Does that answer your question? Absolutely. I love that. Thank you. So let me take you back to Papa John's. What was the most proud moment for you when you reflect back at Papa John's and how did you lead, lead the team to achieve that? Well, a couple of things. When I got there, um, John basically told me, and John, for, the, for your listeners, if they don't know, the, the founder, a brilliant guy called John Schneider, founded a great concept. He was innately very clever. If you said to John, multiply 235 by 5,641, he could do it in his head instantly. I mean, I was always amazed by his abilities like that. He founded a great concept. It was very focused on better ingredients, better pizza. He built it up nicely. Um, but, but John was very worried about his legacy. Uh, he, he, I don't think really respected the team as I would have liked him to have done. But when I got there, he said, you're going to have to change all your team to be successful. I'm very pleased to say I changed no one. So that was a proud moment because I think we made the team operate as a team consistent with what I said in the previous question. <laughs> it's interesting. So I don't want people to go away and say, um, if you like a soft touch as a result of that, when I went to Duncan, I changed everyone. Mm -hmm. um, so I think a, a great English phrase is horses for courses. 
but you have to get people behind you. You have to make sure that the team's aligned. Um, you got to make sure you got the right standard. So that the fact that I kept the same team and we did great things in the time I was there, I think was um, one of the things I'm most proud of. I think the other thing I was very proud of, and I think this is an interesting story, which I'll try and keep short, and it's in the book that I wrote, is when I got there, um, we went to the first franchise convention and I went back to my room after the first day and I had the TV on and Jim Cramer was on TV and he was saying that Domino's are going to sponsor The Apprentice. Well, Domino's were our big competitor and I sat there thinking about it. They're going to sponsor The Apprentice. Is there something we could do as Papa John's to thwart the fact that they were right behind The Apprentice and Donald Trump? So I talked to John, who I repeat, is a very creative guy. And I said, I think we need to buy a lot of media nationally, but do it in a local basis. You can buy national media, but on a local basis. And, and, and somehow get in the middle of Domino's sponsorship by taking commercials. We did that with the advertising uh, agency, the Z Group. We put an ad together in two weeks and we surprised the whole world by going in and getting in the middle of the uh, apprentice shows sponsored by Domino's. The franchisees, the Papa John's franchisees loved it. To them, that was leadership. That was us showing how competitive we were. It was reinforcing the strengths of the brand, better ingredients, better pizza. So I was proud of that because immediately I got the franchisees behind me and I built on strong franchise relationships from that time on. I love that. And, you know, to me, it takes back to a little before when you were there, we pulled off an incredible ad in which we get, got one of the Carney brothers, the original founders, to be on the ad. And of course, Frank Carney, being one of the classiest human beings ever, would never do an ad against Papa John's. And it was like sheer luck. It fell on our lap the same day Pizza Hut took Frank Carney off their website. Really? And that's the part I said, sir, this is what happened. Pizza Hut removed your mother's name from your birth certificate. And that's the opening we needed. And we got this most amazing ad that he and John, this was a classic ad of all times. So I want to go back to you talked about franchisees. You know, you talked about franchisees with a smile. Anytime you go through in the world and you've seen that franchise, franchise are, are like a marriage which is not meant to happen. Like it's a dysfunctional, like that's the mindset. How do you always put franchisee wins ahead of everything else? Okay, so franchising is a great business. Uh, I used to be able to quote all the numbers that are employed in franchising businesses in America, uh, and that's ignoring international, but it's an enormous number, mm -hmm. uh, particularly in the restaurant business. And if you think about the great names in our industry, names like McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, um, KFC, and so on, they're, they're all franchise. Um, I've been fortunate to work with several franchise organizations, Burger King, Blockbuster was effectively 25% franchise, Papa John's at various times was, let's say, between 10 and 20%. And then Dunkin' was 100% franchise. So the franchisees are effectively your customer. Um, but you have to recognize there's an inherent conflict. The corporate body has effectively a set of goals 
usually financial, and franchisees have a set of goals. So if I increase the fees to you as a franchisee in a, to increase my profitability, that's going to hurt you. So you have to recognize there is a conflict. And what you do is you bridge that conflict. You have to recognize that franchise economics are absolutely critical to the franchisees, and you work across that. The people who say, look, we're all in this together, that's wrong. Just recognize that there is an inherent conflict. Make sure that you have communication tools uh, and bodies. And at Duncan, we had um, the Brand Advisory Council, which was made up of all the representatives of the franchisees. We didn't always agree. We often had difficult arguments and, uh, and, and real differences but we found a way to come together. But the other trick I found, and I think I found this more at Duncan than Papa John's, is we had a foundation that was for children who worked on it together. So even though we had business differences, we found a way of doing things together. And there's nothing better to build, if you like, alliances than work towards the same goal. And our foundation was the way we did it. Wow. I love that. Alliances start when you start working together and seeing you and I wear the same uniform makes us feel like a team. And that's a great start. Love that advice. You know, as you were talking about Papa John's franchise, I have to share an advice from John Schnatter, you know, from marketing, I was just moving to operations. And if you remember in every Papa John's is a 10 point pizza scale that is there for every team member. Yep. To I was designing that and what I designed was really, I was very proud, a very creative, amazing piece. John looked at and told me two things. One, don't be cute. Secondly, he just you know, took off and says, follow me, took me to the Shelbyville store and put me in the restaurant and said, your poster will go right here. Stare at it and think what you would do on a Saturday night. Till you get it, do not create the poster. And that was like, I stood there and I know this is a man who lives and breathes pizza. I stood there for a few hours and I realized that it was not cute. It's a functional thing. And later on, when I came back, John explained to me, create something which the quarterback gets in between plays and nods his head. That's what you create. Like that kind of a wisdom coming from this man. I feel you don't learn that in a school or a textbook. It's totally brilliant. So, you know, thanks for this opportunity to share that moment. So I want to go to Duncan. So same way you talked about Papa John's, little different organization, you have to change the organization. Some of the biggest wins and biggest challenge that you're proud of overcoming as a team. Well, I, I, the reason I was recruited was we were owned by three private equity groups. And, and it's always interesting working with private equity. And I'm back in the same situation now because I'm the independent chairman of Surpro. Uh, which is owned by Blackstone. Um, so I was recruited to Duncan to crank up development, which is lagged. So I came in, I was actually quickly shocked by several things. One was the lethargic disciplines that the company had. Two was the lack of focus on data. And remember, I'd come from Blockbuster to Papa John's where Papa John's, we'd really won by cranking up online pizza ordering. So data was important to me. And I get to 
Duncan and I find that people focused on comps once a week and they came out late. They weren't like the day after, they were three days later. So I changed that. But very quickly, the same model as I used at Papa John's became clear that we had to focus on franchise economics. Uh, we spent a lot of time talking about it. We talked about how we can improve it. I went out, I did a listening tour with franchisees. Some of the franchisees said, uh, it's a pretty difficult place to work or be a franchisee. We lost some franchisees. The first year was the first, the second year of the financial uh, recession. So 2009, I spent most of the year sitting around my table doing franchise workouts and franchise bankruptcies, sadly. And I learned a lot from that. And But what I did is I worked with the franchisees to how to overcome all those issues. We cranked up unit economics. As we cranked up unit economics, we managed to put in place processes to develop uh, more stores, and we became a development machine. Some years we grew as many as 500 stores. Um, so Duncan became that development machine. And, and, and I have this debate a lot, Arjun, in companies. People focus on comps, and they say comps of and clearly very important because you want to grow your business. But you put so much onto comps. If you're not growing stores, you've got no other way of growing revenue. So I think it's great to balance the two because mm -hmm. if comps aren't one year very good, mm -hmm. hopefully your development offsets it. Mm -hmm. And most of the time as I was, I was at Duncan, development was actually bigger than comps. So I'm very proud of that. I'm also very proud of the fact that we picked up on all the metrics we didn't have when I got there. Uh, we migrated the brand to a digital brand, particularly the app. And, and it's interesting, we're having this call on a day that Starbucks announced that they're going to have uh, a store without any cashiers. You'll automatically check out. To me, that's the future. People <laughs> want to get out, go quickly. Um, we also are facing right now a labor crisis that's probably unprecedented. And I think we have to accept automation is here and find ways that it benefits the customer, not just the bottom line. Talking about all the changes, you know, I have to go and refer to your book, The Challenge Culture, why most successful organizations run on pushback. What was the main message of writing the book? Well, I think the main, main message is, number one, have a culture. It doesn't have to be the challenge culture, but have a culture. And ideally, that culture should be positive. Secondly, uh, I think I've learned over 20, 30 years that the way to be successful is to encourage everyone to challenge you. And the most important thing is to challenge you, not necessarily challenge other people. But that means you have to be receptive to feedback uh, because you get better ideas. And just take a simple example. You, you write a earnings release. Make sure you show it not only to the financial people, but perhaps to some people who aren't in finance. They will, they will see it as the average reader may see it. And, and I perhaps, I, so, <coughs> excuse me, sometimes over-process things, mm -hmm. but I believe in having everything challenged. So that, that's a major message. The next message is uh, what I call outside to in perspective. Mm -hmm. And I talk in the book about the value of financial analysts. When I was at Duncan, we had 36 different analysts following the company. 
Now, if you talk to a lot of CEOs and CFOs, they will say, ah, the damn analysts are a nuisance. They're not, because they're looking at your company. They're looking at it with a critical eye because they have to write reports for the investors. But not only that, they're looking at your competition. So when I was at Dunkin', they were looking at companies such as Starbucks, Krispy Kreme, you name it. <laughs> and, 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 and sometimes they come up with good ideas. So people are not very receptive to the outside view. I think that's a major strength. Um, and the last message of the book, I think is very important, is to constantly communicate, which means two-way communications down the organization. And I talk a lot about something I used a lot in Duncan and um, Papa John's, which is coffee chats. I used to do coffee chats with employees, junior employees, and coffee chats with franchisees. And one of the things I love about franchisees, and you talked about the smile, is no one's more challenging than franchisees because they got their money in the business and they're dealing with customers. Uh, there is one group, though, I found in recent years, fans of football clubs are more challenging than franchisees. I call them the two Fs, franchisees and fans. Thank you. So as you've evolved your career from a CEO to now you are advising boards, you're a board member running boards, what has been the transition like? What have you taken forward and what has changed? Huh. Yeah, I mean, I have a wonderful life because effectively I'm on two public boards, as you said. Um, I'm on three private boards, two of which I chair. I've been involved in a SPAC. I've been involved, obviously, this takes up most time running my football team in the UK, uh, Leighton Orient, um, which if anyone's interested in soccer, we'd love you to tune into our streaming. Um, every game's streamed. Um, but I also bump into people who I help. I mean, I'm helping someone with uh, CBD at the moment. Uh, I've got another guy who's in a franchise, I won't name it. I've been helping him get more development rights. Uh, and I find that quite pleasurable. You have chats with people and sometimes the experience can help them. So I'm very busy. Uh, I have two, I have three kids. One's 41, but the others are 16 and 14. So I'm pretty involved with their activities. And then the other thing I love doing is working out. I mean, I think um, we have a health crisis in the world. Um, and I think people don't work out enough. I, I work out, I watch the TV, I listen to music. Life should be fun. Thank you. So on the fun note, let me ask you a question totally from the right field, on a totally on a different note. If Nigel today walked into a pub yeah. and meets Nigel 16-year-old and Nigel 100-year-old, what would the conversation look like? Hmm. Um, well, the first thing I would say, I think, is when you get into the workplace, enjoy every moment. Mm -hmm. which I managed to do. Secondly, be curious. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the things I think is really fantastic these days is that there is so much available to look at. I mean, I, I still read analyst reports. I still read industry reports. Um, there's so much data. I read five newspapers a day. Um, I watch CNBC. I, I watch all the interv I watch all the interviews on CNBC online after they've happened because they're shorter versions. 
and you can learn from other people. So I'd learn, say that. I think the biggest mistake I made was I think I should have had a go at being a general manager earlier. Mm -hmm. I didn't do it until I was 41. Uh, and that's well documented in the book. Um, but to me, make work an enjoyable experience. Don't see it as a uh, as a, a chore. See it as an experience there to be enjoyed. Thank you. So thank you for sharing. Is there anything else you want to share with our listeners that we haven't discussed already? No, except I think there's perhaps one thing. I, I, I don't think boards get enough credit for what they do. Mm -hmm. I mean, at Dunkin', we had a very successful run. I joined when it was private. Um, we went public at $19 a share in July 2011. We sold it $106.50 last December. The board were fantastic. They pushed me. They challenged me. They didn't just tick the box. They came up with ideas. Sometimes that's frustrating, but people were very well-meaning and many of their thoughts and ideas were helpful and moved the business forward. So the role of the board, I think, is sometimes ignored. And the other thing I hate managers doing is trying to keep secrets from the board. Treat them as though they're on your side. You know, you've got a budget and the budget is 100 don't go to the board with 96. Go to the board with 100 and say, that's what I intend to deliver. Um, I think too many people treat boards naively. Treat it as a resource. Be willing to be open with them. And I think it worked very well for me. And, you know, your advice resonates so beautifully with something our favorite CFO, David Flannery, had always used to tell me is that boards never have a secret. But every time you have a bad news, always have a plan on what you're doing about it. Just don't say, give the you know bad news. So Nigel, you were very kind to answer every question I had. Is Do you have any questions for me before we finish? No, uh, except how many people does this go out to, Asian? So, you know, so we have crossed a million total views as you start going through 150 episodes and for an average episode anywhere from 100 to 150 downloads happen for us so it's a very niche group that is there but we promote it on social media with one-liners and you know to me as i've been taking notes like crazy as you've been speaking and nigel the biggest gift you gave me today is that one phrase that i will never forget we achieved instead of i achieved I really think that is such a simple thing everywhere. And I'm taking it beyond work. I'm talking about at family, at life, at every place. The moment you look at We Achieved, it's a smile. It's a happy phrase. And thank you, Nigel, for giving this gift to me and truly appreciate this. And thank you, David Flannery, for connecting us. He's a rock star and I owe him one. So. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure being here. Thank you. You've been listening to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango, top brand growth driver and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. To learn more, visit www.zenmango.com. Share this podcast with your friends and subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.